And then it was followed by the U.S. military's think tanks publishing theirs, which was pretty well identical. And now the media is going into overdrive with upcoming riots. Summer, a summer of riots, they're calling you. As I say, this is planned, and there will definitely be riots. It will be led, in fact, by the ones that are paid from the top because they always have their provocateurs. They're very good speakers, too, in different movements that are funded by the big think tanks to get the thing going. And we'll talk about that tonight, so we'll be back with more after this break. Years and years of rioting. 
And at that time, everyone was saying, well, why would anybody be rioting? Things are pretty bad, but not that bad. Well, then the banks go under. Everyone's losing their homes across the world. And there you go. Right on cue. Planned that way, you see. How would they get their 30 years of riots once they started off? Quite simple. This is from the Daily Express. And it's Sunday, March the 1st, 2009, by Geraint Jones. It says, top secret contingency plans have been drawn up to counter the threat posed by a summer of discontent in Britain. They're also calling it a summer of rage. That'll become very popular. The double whammy of the worst economic crisis in living memory and a motley crew, listen to this, of political extremists determined to stir up civil disorder has led to the extraordinary step of the army being put on standby. The army has been put on standby. This is all through the UK. It'll be the same, I guarantee you, in Canada and all the British Commonwealth countries and in the US as well. Actually, I have more on that. So they've already set up an organization years ago to deal with it, and if I have time tonight, I'll talk about it. it. says here MI5, which is Britain's FBI, and special branch are targeting activists they fear could inflame anger over job losses and payouts to failed bankers. Failed bankers. Let's stop right there and say this. If someone built you a house that fell down, a month after you moved in, would you call him an expert? And would you expect the government to disqualify these people, such people, from having licenses to do it again? Of course, the government would step in. Why would the government step in here to help the top experts, we're told, in banking and in the stock market industry? The most respectable people have been, has been drummed into us for years because wealth is respectability are the experts and have completely failed miserably by looting the public, would, why would you reward them for doing so? Hmm? See, that's why people are getting rather angry when they see what the system truly is. And it's not there to serve them, but it never was. It never, ever was. Getting back to the article, one of the most notorious anarchist websites that says Class War asks how deep or or how to keep warm during the credit crunch. Burn a banker, it says. Such remarks have rung alarm bells bells in Scotland Yard and the Ministry of Defence. Intelligence sources said the police backed by MI5 are determined to stay on top of a situation that could spiral out of control as the recession bites deep. You see, we've got a long ways to go into it because they're going to keep bailing them out. The money is going to keep going into other accounts overseas and, and getting lost, etc. And then they'll say, well, we're so broke now as taxpayers that, that we're totally, utterly bankrupt. That's what they're doing right now. So it is going to get worse. It's going to spiral out of control. It's meant to. Rather than just locking up the bankers and finding someone else to do the job with oversight. Old, old Stonewall Jackson had the right idea. He, he literally went against the second American bank that was a private bank that ran the government to destroy it. He wanted to destroy it. And he also said that there should be no lifelong politicians 
wanted oversight committees drawn from society to watch over the bankers and the money and all the rest of it. And you would take it in self-rotation, two or three years at a time each. That's what we, see, that's the only way you could watch these guys and see all their contracts and so on, but it's too late for that, so we've passed that. Now getting back to the article here, it says here, the chilling prospect of soldiers being drafted onto the streets has not been discounted. Well, of course it's not, because you see, they planned for this back in the 80s. That's how far back you can trace it. And I'll, I'll go into that if I have time tonight. This is here. Although it's been regarded as a last resort. What worries emergency planners most is that the middle classes now are struggling to cope with unemployment and repossessions, that means losing all their homes, may take to the streets with the disenfranchised. The source said this potent, this potent cocktail is reminiscent of the poll tax riots. Up the head counts. You were taxed just for having a head. In other words, if you existed, you were taxed under Margaret Thatcher, which fatally wounded Margaret Thatcher's government in 1990. They used to come into your house and just count you. How many people were registered on the poll? Last night, Scotland Yard vowed it was ready to face any threat. A source said, we do have a policing plan in place, and we have riot police officers trained for such measures. But other senior police leaders fear the force will be unable to cope. For that to be the case, the government has a contingency plan to deploy troops on the street of Britain's major cities. That will be all over Europe anyway. A senior source said that this is a very real and a very serious problem. I can tell you there have been crisis talks in Whitehall about this. Well, of course they are. There's a lot of angry people that have been looted. And they watch the crooks being rewarded. Half the senior officers in Britain have been warning the Home Secretary about the dangerous effects that reduced police manpower may have this summer, especially in industrial heartlands, where most of the unemployment, of course, is. We're not just talking about the problems of immigration and British jobs for British workers. We're also talking about mass unemployment. It goes on and on and says here, others are keeping it quiet, but we can sure they're trying to make the Home Secretary listen before it's too late. The protest season is due to begin on April the 1st with the G20 summit in London. I mean, you see, you couldn't plan this. They could plan, they could take this to any other city. In fact, they, could, they love to take these things off to nice, faraway, sunny climes. Why are they putting it in London, where most of the anger will be? And it's very accessible, you see, for people to travel in to demonstrate. Because it's set up that way. That's why they picked it. This is here, followed by the 60th anniversary of NATO in Strasbourg a few days later. Oh, boy, isn't that a coincidence? NATO in Strasbourg. Strasbourg. Media is also potentially a flashpoint. And it's a bit flash mobs, remember. Ministers cannot afford to allow latent public anger at government policy to get out of hand if it's to maintain credibility through what promises to be Gordon Brown's most testing period as Prime Minister. To stop the war, to stop the war coalition orchestrating the G20 protests said the first week of April could be a week of world leaders, which they'll never forget. The British authorities want to avoid a repeat of the rioting that scarred British Isles in the 1980s. Then, as now the country was in recession, recession is a depression, with rising unemployment and deep public hostility to perceived social divisions. Oh, it's just 
perceived as your perceptions are off, you see. Today, that anchor is based on banks with their bonus culture surviving despite billions being paid in taxpayer bailouts. The taxpayers are losing their homes. They're losing their homes, see. And they ask why they're angry. And the ones who are profiting and who have, who have profited are being rewarded by their pals in government. See, that's how it's perceived. It's perceived that way because it's the truth. I'll be back with more after the following messages. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. And if you want to look at the reports from the think tanks for NATO and the one for the U.S. Army, the military, look into my archive section for my audio archives for 21st November 2008, and you'll find the links. I'll take you right there. And I've got one more article to read, and we go to a caller. But this is from Wise Up Journal. And it's from today, the 2nd of the 3rd, 2009. It's quite interesting. It says, Irish police protest. The, pre- the police in Ireland are protesting and call the government a criminal accessory to the pillaging that's been done by the banks. And they did a huge demonstration by the police. They call it the Garda in Ireland. And they also have a video on this, and the link is here too. And I'll have it on my site. Since last week, February the 25th, the Garda, the Irish police force, protested by the thousands, and we, the people of ERA, interviewed the Garda Representative Association. In the video posted on the site here, you can hear Deputy General Secretary of the Garda Representative Association, Sir John Healy. This is equivalent to the Deputy General of the RCMP in Canada coming out and saying this. That's what it would be here. Says Mr. John Healy, say, this is the top guy from the, from the cops, say that the government has sat around while our banks have been raided by private individuals for their personal profit, where $43 billion, or pounds, exactly, has been made in the last three years of the Celtic Tiger, while 1% of the population has profited. They paid no taxes. Bankers that, that sw- have switched their accounts from account to account, try to find where the money went, you see, you see do this, uh, this, this hopscotch from bank to bank to bank. And, says, and individuals who have directly and openly manipulated share values in any other country, that would be illegal. But for the members of Garda, Sokana, the only thing that's legal in this country is picking their pockets. So that's the top guy for the police, for the country. Saying, basically, that the government sat around and did nothing while these characters looted, looted the country by 43 billion. Why don't we hear that in other countries? Are they simply too well paid at the top? Is that why they're not saying what's happening? Because they know too. We all know. Everyone knows. We've been suckered again. Everybody knows. Now, there's a call 
from Jordan, from Red One. Are you there, Red One? Yes, I'm home. Yes, how are you? Yeah, I'm okay. It's a long time. Uh, I called in. Yes. Yeah, um, first of all, I want to apologize for not uh, donating to you. Uh, me, myself, and my family were trying just to survive. Hello? Yes, I know. Uh, so, uh, first of all, my sincere apologies for this. Um, I've been listening to you uh, since two years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, first of all, I wanted to ask, ask you something uh, that has to do, it's not off-topic, it has to do with uh, the matter of today about the rioting in Europe. So, my question is as follows. Um, what ethnic group do you think will go down first as soon as the mob will be rioting and then, of course, looking for a black sheep to, um, yeah, to actually yeah. to fight before they will fight the government or any police? I think it'll start basically with organized protests, but they'll probably have their police agitators inside the crowds as they have had before. You see, they want the rioting to start. But if they go by the 30-year plan of rioting, which is from the think tanks at the top that I've been talking about from the military, um, eventually it'll turn inwards. They hope to turn it inwards and have ethnic groups fighting ethnic groups as well. And uh, okay. the whole of Europe has been set up in such a way um, that they've encouraged massive immigration from different countries, but to settle in the same little areas and cities. So it's set up just like Constantinople was a long time ago, with different areas for different people. And they've told them all to keep their culture. Uh, they've, they've put an awful lot on welfare in certain countries. And all you have to do, all they have to do at the top is cut off the welfare for a week or two to start the riot going. You see, there's, a, there's so many ways they can trigger this off. But what they hope to do is to change the causes of the rioting from what they are today into an inter-ethnic conflict group until eventually that, that's what we'll think of, how we'll see it really. Uh, that, that's why really they've set up this strategy for many, many years. They had this plan made before I was born. Before I was born. And you, you, you'll see that uh, all these different tactics being used. Um, they tried it before in different parts of England, for instance. And there was one riot that happened in the, the late 70s, I think it was. And it was a coordinated riot because the leaders of the riots were driving about in jeeps with uh, loudspeakers. And it was in certain, it was mainly in in the the black areas that that it started. But who were these professional guys in jeeps? Were they military that were actually organizing this and keeping it going? It's never been answered, but it was definitely an organized event for something for the future. Uh, Hold on and we'll be back after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
cutting through the matrix. Is Red Wine still on the phone? Uh, yes, okay, I'm Yes. Yeah, did you have any other questions or? Yeah, um, uh, I still couldn't figure out what, uh, what it was between uh, the New World Order, because mm -hmm. obviously there are more agendas in the higher echelons. Mm -hmm. You have the New World Order of the Illuminati, and then you have the Zionists. I don't call them Jews. Actually, the Zionists that are actually planning for a greater Israel by uh, mm -hmm. confiscating uh, land in the Middle East. So mm -hmm. what is the connection between these these two plannings? It's always been part of a, a very old tradition to set up Israel as a capital of the world. And it's strange that because I was reading just recently on the book put out by Jax Attali, the last book he put out. Now, he's a big member of the think tanks of the United Nations, a top advisor to different presidents in the past of, of France. He spearheaded the Union of uh, uh, the European Union. But he said in the book, he says, is it possible that Israel will become the sort of economic um, and perhaps spiritual uh, capital of the world in the, in the future. He's looking way down the road. And that's also been the hope, supposedly, of some various other religions as well. Uh, so who knows? Who knows how that's going to play out there? But there's no doubt about it that Israel has been well-funded uh, from its inception, uh, first of all by Britain, and then it was taken over by the United States of America, and pretty well all of their armaments that come in and were used in Gaza. In fact, I think it's Amnesty International and other organizations are complaining that all of these uh, uh, high-tech weaponry that was found and used on Gaza were all made in the United States and given to Israel by the U.S. So it's an extension of a long-term policy plan by the Anglo-American establishment, to say the least, and uh, they set up, as I say, if you understand the history of Ireland, they set up a similar one uh, in Armagh, in Ireland, okay. uh, with, with foreigners there to, to keep that going for centuries. And they've done the same thing with the Middle East. But there's a long-term goal for it, and I think that is part of their term. Uh, their goal is to eventually make it some kind of a capital. Okay, thank you. Um, if you have time, I, I would like to ask a comment on something. If not, I will call back another time. Yes, or, or you could call me uh, even even off air sometimes as well. Oh, where could I do that? I, I've, I've still got your email address, if it's the same one, and I can email yeah, it's you. Yeah, the same one. I'll email you my phone number. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. Bye then. Thanks Bye for now. your time. Take care. And getting back to the contingency plans for Europe. Back in the 80s, some of us heard about uh, the multi-jurisdictional task force, they called it, a kind of hush-hush organization of rapid deployment and rapid responses that would be used within the Americas. And the idea was that military and special police would train with the military, in fact, and they'd be used in live situational wars to gain experience of what they'd have to do in the future back home. 
And they denied that for many years, and lo and behold, about a year ago or so, I mentioned it at the time on the radio, uh, the CBC did a little, a little piece on the news, and they just happened to mention that these guys with the military outfits are actually police from Canada who were knocking down doors and smashing them down and uh, putting people out with, uh, their, with guns at their heads and all the rest of it. These were Canadian policemen getting uh, training to come back into Canada. Well, they have these organizations set up for the Americas and for Europe. Now, when the UN was talking about rapid deployment forces for what was to come uh, maybe 10 years ago, that's what they were referring to. It was nothing to do with getting them overseas to some hot spot. It was to de- deal within Europe and within the Americas. Uh, one of the organizations they set up for Europe is called the is called Eurogend for, or the European uh, Gendarmerie Force, and it was set up uh, quite a few years ago. A rapid de- a deployment. It says Eurogend for is an initiative of five European countries. And there's more involved now because this was from ninety. That this is from a year ago or two years ago. Um, Portugal, Spain, France, Italy, and the Netherlands, Holland, all having security forces within military status aiming to contribute to the development of the European security and defense policy and to endow Europe with a greater capacity to conduct all police missions in crisis management operations. This is from their own website. Inspired by such an object, the cited countries strengthening the overall value of the security forces with military status decided to establish a force which would be multinational, operational, pre-structured, robust, and rapidly deployable to assure all police missions within the compass of civil crisis management, having signed the Declaration of Intent in Nordwijk, the Netherlands, on 17th of September 2004. Eurogen 4 is an operational, pre-organized, robust a deployable force of 800 elements within 30 800 elements, whatever that means, within 30 days on the, on, on the site. And endowed with high levels of flexibility and interoperability and particularly capable of conducting substitution, strengthening and humanitarian police missions within the ambit of civil crisis management. Civil crisis management. For planning purposes based on the contributions put at disposal by the participating countries, we believe that the five forces involved will engage in an estimated, here's what their forecast is, an estimated 2,300 military elements in Eurogender uh, missions. It says, because only say can be put under civilian authority, that's your government, or military command. Be capable of acting throughout all crisis response phases, anywhere from military intervention to the transfer of responsibility to local civilian authority, that's right down to your local township, or to an international organization. By the way, they say here they also work with the United Nations and NATO. And I'll put this link up on my site as well at the end of the show to show you one organization that they've been working with for years to set up for what's coming along the pike right now. And it's the same in Canada. It's the same in Canada. This is the rapid deployment forces, and they'll be working right down to your local level, taking over all the functions of civilians at the very bottom, including managing local councils and your towns and all the rest of it. But it's quite an interesting article 
to see just how in tight they are with the United Nations, all the ministers of defense of Europe. And as I say, even though there's five countries signed it, it can be used anywhere within the European Union. Nothing happens by chance. Just nothing at all happens by chance. You are handed to them how they, they plan every part of the event. And as I say, how could they kick off their 30 years of riots without something happening to cause it? Isn't it amazing? They always get what they want. They wanted to get the anti-terrorism bills pushed through before 2001. They tried to get the ID cards pushed out in the UK in, in the late 90s. And no one wanted them. Said, no, what's happening? We're all, we're, the Cold War is over. Everything's peaceful. What's the problem? So they backed off. Bill Clinton wanted to push it through in the United States. And the Congress said no. And that very weekend, that the Oklahoma City bombing, boom, it was passed on the following Monday. They get what they want because they make it happen. Very simple. And believe you me, remember what I said before, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, was started off by a group who said that their mandate was that the end justified the means. Whatever means necessary to obtain their objective. Killing people is nothing. At all. In fact, at the very foundation of the Cecil Rhodes Foundation, or society, they started the South African War, the Boer War. And lots of people were slaughtered in that war. So the end justifies the means. And blowing up a couple of towers in New York is nothing to their big, big plans at all. Nothing. That's trivia to their big plans. They need these things to happen to get them through. How could you get Bruce Sr. giving New World Order speeches in 90, September the 11th, 1990, and then the following year, September the 11th, 1991, without 2001, September the 11th, happening? How could that happen? It's impossible a new world order coming into view. CFR, Trilateral Commission, he knew what the whole agenda was. And it's not going to be a nice unified world at the end of it all. It's eugenics and depopulation and birth only by authorization. In fact, it'll be the manufacturing of the brand new man to serve them better. Interesting, going back into those reports, again, the think tanks for the military... They said that the most dangerous element in society right now is the young male. That's enemy number one, the young male. And I've got, given lots and lots of talks about the estrogen levels in males today, where they find they're, find they're basically sterile. I've gone back to Julian Huxley and, and uh, Bertrand Russell, who both advocated, and so did Charles Galton Darwin, especially. In his own book, The Millennium, he said, be a nice way to introduce hormones into the food supply or something to target the males. Well, they've done all that. They've done it all because they have their big agenda and the public know nothing about it. Nothing at all. The media portrays things as though it's just one, one incredible coincidental happening after another. That's how it's given to the public. And the media is an essential arm of government. 
here's an article here. It's, it says here, well, if I can get it back up here, I might lose it. We'll see. That was due actually with um, a report that came in that Tamiflu. I've been tested on various people who've had the flu, this new flu that's come along, and it doesn't work. Isn't it amazing that, again, you tie this in with the big boys and how they profit off everything and everybody. And it ends up, uh, the government's buying stockpiles of this stuff. Millions of dollars worth of this stuff for a private company. By the way, Rumsfeld used to be the CEO of the company. He's the guy who pushed it forward. And then we find out it's useless. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? We never, we never seem to learn, do we? Really never ever seem to learn. As they rip us off time and time again. But of course, they've got to get their summer of rage going or nothing truly would happen. It's astonishing too, out of Baxter Laboratories in, uh, where was it now? It was across in Europe. Baxter Laboratories, by the way, were part of the big IG Farben Corporation in World War II. And they're still working hard today on the flu virus. They always get it wrong. They always get last year's flu or the wrong flu or the wrong mix or whatever. And they always tell us this in, in about March or April. Yeah, we got it all wrong. Every year they tell us they got it. And mind you, every November they're pushing for us all to get it. But it never, it's always the wrong one that we get. And astonishingly, something amazing happened with, with this particular outfit, Baxter's, to do with the flu. And it says here, if we can find it, it says, Baxter admits flu product contained live bird flu virus. Now, this is supposed to be a mistake, right? And if this thing stops loading, I can read it for you. Generally, my computer crashes about this time for some weird reason. It's from February the 27th, 2009, the Canadian Press. The company that released contaminated flu virus material from a plant in Austria confirmed Friday that the experimental product contained live H5N1 avian flu viruses. You wonder how they're going to get it into the population? Do you wonder? The company that released the contaminated flu virus material from a plant in Austria confirmed Friday that the experimental product contained live H5N1 avian flu viruses. An official of the World Health Organization's European Operations said the body is, close, is closely monitoring the investigation into the events that took place at Baxter International's research facility in Orth Donau, Austria. At this juncture, we're confident in saying that the public health and occupational risk is minimal. It's minimal at present, medical officer Roberta Andragetti said from Copenhagen, Denmark. But what remains unanswered are the circumstances surrounding the incident in the Baxter facility in Orth Donau. The contaminated product, a mix of H3N2 seasonal flu virus and unlabeled H5N1 virus, 
was applied to an Austrian research company. The Austrian firm Evergreen Biotechnology then sent portions of it to subcontractors in the Czech Republic, Slovenia and Germany. The contamination incident which is being investigated by the four European countries came to light when the subcontractor in the Czech Republic inoculated ferrets, that's like little weasels, with the product and they died. Ferrets shouldn't die from exposure to human H3N2 flu viruses, so they died of the bird flu. Public health authorities concerned about what has been described as a serious error on Baxter's part have assumed the death of the ferrets meant the H5N1 in the virus in the product was live, live virus. But the company, of course, Baxter International Incorporated, has been parsimonious about the amount of information it has released about the event. On Friday, the company's director of global bioscience communications confirmed what scientists have suspected. It was live, Christopher Bona said in an email. The contaminated product, which Baxter calls experimental virus material, was made at the Orthodono Research Facility. Baxter makes its flu vaccine, including a human H5N1 vaccine, for which a license is expected shortly at a facility in the Czech Republic. People familiar with biosecurity rules are dismayed by evidence that human H3N2 and avian H5N1 virus somehow commingled in the Orthodono facility. That's a dangerous practice. It should not be allowed to happen, a number of experts said. Because the two, you see, can mutate and become one, become the killer flu. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watford, cutting through the Matrix, and we've got Charlie from Denver on the line there, Charlie. Hi, Alan. Hi. Uh, yeah, I just want to I've listened to you all the time, and uh, she's one of your biggest uh, fans, I think, in the United States, and uh, she's actually gotten people to uh, translate the uh, blurbs into other languages for you. Yes, that's great. Yeah, that's great. I was just wondering, is there one place that you think uh, that would be a good place to live in this country, in this world right now, uh, the way things are going? Mm-hmm. Uh, any country at all, you mean? In any country at all. I mean, we went to Transylvania, and we uh, thought that might be a kind of a out-of-the-way place. That uh, it will be. And I tell you, I know people who are moving out to remote places in Russia, where they can certainly feed themselves, and, and it's remote, and they can take care of themselves. There are people on the move. There have been for the last couple of years, and uh, it's pretty well time now to, for most of us to to do what we have to do. It's either sit here and get arrested. Part of the think tank studies I was reading said that they're going to do pre-arrests on anyone who can vocalize this kind of stuff to the public and, and cause agitation. That's what, they, that's what they're saying. So they're going to swoop in eventually and start just grabbing people and, and detain them without arrest indefinitely. And that's, all, that's in their military guidelines. So the best thing probably would go back to some kind of a, a primitive lifestyle in a more out-of-the-way place. It wouldn't bother me at all. I'll tell you, I could, uh, I can do without uh, knowing about Einstein or what's happening in the latest uh, scientific circles. Or I don't need that kind of stuff. But that's not what life's all about anyway. We've been given an artificial concept and it's been drummed into us. 
living entails far more than just what the media is there to tell you or education. Living is a different thing altogether. Yeah, you're quite right. Uh, well, uh, it, was, it was very nice talking to you, and uh, my wife is uh, listening. Well, you take care. Thank Both you. of you. Bye. Bye now. And uh, just to finish off tonight, um, there's an article here from the BBC. 2nd of March, designer baby row over U.S. clinic. A U.S. clinic has sparked controversy by offering would-be parents the chance to select traits like eye and hair color off their offspring. The LA Fertility Institute is run by Jeff Steinberg, pioneer of IVF in the 1970s, expects a a trait-selected baby to be born next year. He also offers sex selection. Now, you know darn well this is not just to do with the color of your eyes and your hair and all the rest of it. And the, the, the people who go for this don't know this either. The ones at the top who are doing this do know this. They're going to alter the genetic makeup, try and create the perfect docile, the human worker bee. That's what it's really all about. This is all eugenics. And this is the start to get it into the minds of the public where you can choose what you want. Well, you might choose the exterior, but believe you me, you're not, you're not going to choose the interior. That's done by the top scientists, and they will be studying your offspring right through their lives to see if they've got it right. They're also talking about removing genes that will cause problems down the road. They're calling them rogue genes, by the way, a term borrowed from the United Nations. Any country who breaks the treaty and is really ticked off and walks off from the UN is called a rogue state. Well, you see, if you have this, perhaps this um, ability to riot, perhaps, or stand up for yourself, you're going to have a rogue gene. And this is how they're going to say it in the media. And that's what they want to eradicate down the road before they bring in their wonderful utopia for themselves. They want to get the perfect worker be nice, docile, and happy. That's it for tonight. So from Hamish and myself, Ontario, Canada... It's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.